me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would use the word. Your word is anointed, and it is able to go to the very hearts and the very soul, the very marrow of our bones, spiritually in our lives, God. And so I pray that your word is applied to our life to encourage, to edify, to challenge us in ways, Father, that we understand what does it mean to live for you. And so I pray for that, I believe that, and I'm asking you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of my movies I watch over and over, it's a, I guess it would be one of my favorite movies, is Interstellar. I like sci-fi movies, you know, and, and especially ones that sort of hold a little bit to science. They all break it because they don't know what to do with it because we don't really understand it all. But I love that movie, and uh, another reason is the soundtrack, amazing soundtrack. I love the soundtrack to, for, for Interstellar. And uh, the, the star, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey? McConaughey. Matthew, Matthew is a great actor. I really enjoy him. <laughs> you got that little, little southern draw. It's it just uh, most of it. But I, I really enjoy him. But in, as much as I like to watch it, and I watch it over and over and such, there's a, a scene in it that sort of bothers me. And it's not because they got the science wrong. It's not because, you know, it's, it's inappropriate or anything like that. But it was a scene where Matthew was talking to his daughter in the movie, and she's really upset because her name is Murphy. And her brother's teasing her because they named her Murphy from Murphy's Law. And she's all upset. And she's saying, why did you name me something bad? And I guess I'm really dissatisfied with his answer. He says, well, it's not bad. It's just, it, just, it just means that anything that, that uh, uh, could go, anything that can happen will happen, good, bad, whatever. And I thought, that's a that's a terrible way, <laughs> a terrible explanation, because you, you see that he didn't really, really didn't satisfy her answer. But that is uh, an axiom. It's something that is uh, Im important to under understand. An axiom is, is anything that you hold is true. Now, it can be built on other foundations of truth, but an axiom is something, really, you believe. Your, your life is filled with axioms. You may not realize that, but you have them all over the, the, the place. Anything you think is true. In fact, an axiom affects your behavior. It affects how you live. I was at the store, and I was trying to decide, do I buy this size cable or this size cable? Not being a real technical guy, I was going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. We, this is close. It's probably enough. But I, but I don't want to get to where I'm going to put it in and it not be enough. And so I'm going back and forth. And so I ended up buying the larger one because I actually said it out loud. And not even realizing everything, what I was saying. I said, well, better safe than sorry. That's an axiom. Better safe than sorry. And my thought is I'd rather buy something bigger. That's, that's, that's something I live by. But there's consequences. That consequence meant I spent more money. I was okay with that because I live by the axiom better safe than sorry. Sometimes that's not helpful, though. Sometimes that, that, that's, not, that's not good. And we all have them. You have them. You live by them. You, in your life, you, you live by them. I have a, an axiom about build more margins. <laughs> I like margins. So if I'm going to the airport and I calculate exactly how long it's going to take me, I add to that. Why? Because if everything goes perfect, which it always does in my life, how about you? 
never goes wrong. There's never any traffic. There's never any weird security person that wants to just check everything, you know, pat me down and like that to delay me. So I build margins because I like not, not everyone in my family sees margins like I do, okay? So sometimes that's where the conflict comes, and I'm standing by the door going, oh, you know, because I'm thinking about the margins, and they're going, well, let's just, you know, that's okay. You, you learn how to deal with life, <laughs> And understand how all that works. It's very interesting. Jesus was teaching a, a, a parable about a very rich man who got a big, big harvest. <laughs> why, did, why do rich men get big harvests? But whatever. <laughs> so he's, in other words, this guy is set. And he, he shares something that this man uh, uh, said to himself. Look what it says in Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 19 and 20, because it, it comes with an answer. He said, I will just take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> that was his axiom. And some people live by that. Oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Live like I want, feel like I want. If I feel it, I do it. If I don't feel it, I don't want to do it. Some people live by that. Jesus' response was <laughs> actually God saying, but God said, you fool. Today, your life is going to be demanded of you. Today, you're going to have to give consequences and so we began to see, just in a little bit of an insight there, that there are consequences, sometimes eternal, to the axioms you're living, to the things that you believe, to the things that are so subconscious that are just there. It's like the iceberg. I have, I, 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 we focus on the top. I think I've got to do here, and I've got to act this way, I've got to do this way. But you know what controls how you live and how you think and how you behave is everything underneath. Those axioms you're not, maybe not even aware of. So the wrong axiom can actually have an effect on eternal life. And I want to think about that. I want to look at that just a little bit. Because there are godly axioms that we find that, that we should live by. And there are selfish ones. There's both <laughs> that are there. Have, and that, that sort of guide us and lead us. Now, we've been talking about, and this is the final message in our series of, of steel and stone. And remember that where we got steel and stone comes from living by courage, living by faith, having faith, and precious stones. What are you building in your life? Are you using things that are going to last? Are you building with things that are going to have eternal consequences or that are just going to burn away? And we're focusing out of 1 Thessalonians because they were just an amazing church. Remember this church? This is a church Paul spent three weeks with, started his three weeks, about three, three and a half weeks, and then had to leave because of the persecution and leave them. And they turned out to be an amazing church that actually changed and, and was an incredible model for everyone around them. And so this is where we find at the very end of this letter now, Paul has complimented them. Paul has encouraged them because of their example, because of everything that they've done. But he begins to put everything in, in perspective and really lay out some things that are important for us to understand. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he sort of sets a theme. This is what I call the goal. Okay, it's our vision statement. This is what Paul does. He sets a vision statement. It says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now, as far as vision statements go, I don't see how you do better. Pastor, what's your vision for the church? Well, there's, there's things that I believe God wants us to do and stuff. But if we could just hang on to this one, somehow I have to live where I'm actually pleasing God. 
And the axioms in your life are driving you one way or the other. They're either driving you to please yourself or they're driving you to please God. What will you do? How will you choose? Will you please God? And you see, I believe with all of my heart, talk, I've talked to so many people, messed up people, hurting people, people that are hungry from God, people that don't believe in God. And in the end, in the end, if you really get down to the core, they want that. I, I just want to, I want, I want somehow. And sometimes they want it just very little, and so everything else in self controls it. Sometimes they want it in its totality. And that's what I'm calling out to each one of you. Do you want to know God? Do you want to please him? And you might say, well, Greg, what, is that? What, what, what does that really matter? You see, for me, if my vision is God, I want to please you, then that means all I want to hear is God to say, well done. Well done. You didn't have the biggest church, but well done. You didn't, you didn't do all these big things, but you did, you, you did what you should. You see, Jesus teaches this parable that's sometimes backwards. We, we don't get it because it's, it's someone that had five talents and someone had two talents and someone had one talent. The five made ten, the two made four, the one just squandered it. Now, what's odd about this is that in, you, in all the other illustrations that Paul or that Jesus uses or Jesus tells us about, it's the rich guy that gets it on the head. Come on. It's the rich guy that screws up. It's the rich guy, rich guy that is selfish. But in this story, it's the other way around. Because sometimes when we have so little, we feel like we have to protect that. And we work so hard trying to keep the very little that we think that we have. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians. Having set the vision, we want to please God. Chapter 4, and now verse 3. And this is the first axiom. I'm going to pull all three of these axioms right out of the Scripture and then rephrase them a bit so that we can understand how we're supposed to live. What's the driving thing of all this? What, what is it that God wants us to do? He wants us to learn how, to, how do we live and please him. So here's the first axiom. Uh, uh, it is God's will that you be sanctified. It is God's will that you be sanctified. In other words, you can do this. <laughs> you can do it. God's will is that it's God's will. And so God's will is that I have this will for everyone, but no one's going to do it. No, no, no. God doesn't do that. God doesn't work there. What is sanctified? Now, a little theology real quick. We understand that there are three basic principles. There is that we are first justified. That means we give our heart to God. That means we, gave, we, we make a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, and then we are sanctified. That means we live holy. We're learning how to, it's a process, learning how to live holy. And then we are glorified. That means we get to be with Jesus. What you need to understand about each one of these is that if I just put it in, a, in an analogy that you can understand, it's 100 steps. Step one is justified. Step two to step 99 is sanctified. Step, step 100 is glorified. And yet we think, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus back there and been living like the devil ever since. That's not sanctified. Was that too hard? Okay, okay come on. You can give, give me some encouragement. Like, I, that's okay. If I go too far, just go, oh me, oh me, oh me. If we go from oh man to oh me, that's when I know I just crossed the line. But I am passionate about helping us 
Learn how to live and please God. So the, the first step, it's just the first step. It's the very first step that says, okay, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And people stop right there. Oh, there's so much more. All the step two, all the way to step 99 is us experiencing and growing and becoming stronger in God. And, there, and so out of these three theological points that just fill volumes, the first one's one, one step. The other one is, I guess, 98. <laughs> and then my math isn't really strong. So my, my sons will correct me later. So, and the last step is 100. It, it's just one step. So justification, one step done. I believe that with all my heart. It's done. God has forgiven us. We are cleansed. We are made holy. It is, it is over. It is done. That's, that's a justification. One step. Done. Glorification. We're going to be translated and be moved and then be with God. One step. It's not going to be a long process. Like, okay, you're halfway up. No, that's not going to go. I'll talk about all this. No, you're not quite good enough. No, no, no. Glorification. There it is. There it is. Everything else is in the middle. What we're living right now is sanctification. So how do we do that? So let me look at the, the axioms. I can live a life that runs counterculture to this world. I can live a life. I can. Here's the first one. I can live a life that runs counterculture to this world. Now, you'll also see a self-axiom. The life one is there, but you choose. In every one of these, we have a choice. You choose how you'll live. You choose what you believe. Because sometimes it's like, oh, I can't do that. Because the self-axiom says, I don't have the strength to stand against the pressure of this world. I can't do this. It's too strong. I, I can't live sanctified. I, I can't do that. I'm just going to just settle on being, staying at step one. I'm so glad you're at step one. I rejoice that you gave your heart to Christ. But come on. That's like saying... You were born last week, and I just want to stay a baby. We take care of babies. But if you had a baby that never, 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 ever changed or grew in any way, that would be really difficult. So we move from all this. You see, what Paul's talking about is, is uh, there it is. Because the church at Thessalonica is America today. They were inundated with sexual pressure and immorality. One of the sayings that actually that came from written inscription that came from that time in that place said, we have mistresses to give us pleasure. We have concubines to meet our bodily needs. And we have wives to raise our children. That was the normal, accepted culture. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we are not far off here in America. There is pressure from pornography. There's pressure from all this in how we live. Oh, that's okay. You can live like that. You can act that way. That doesn't make any difference. All of that is there. And this is what Paul is focusing on in the church of Thessalonica. He said, come on, guys. <laughs> you don't have to live that way. If you think, I can't push back, this is too hard, everyone makes fun of me, they think I'm too weird, they, they call me a, 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 a fanatical religious. You, you, know what that's, you know what that means? You believe the Bible. That's the world we live in today. 
You just believe the Bible. You believe that's wrong, that's immoral, that's not how you define a man and a woman, that's not what it is, that's what it is. Come on, now I'm getting all kinds of trouble. But this is, this is the world pushing on us, and we have to be able to say, God, I can live this. God, I trust you. What axiom are you living by? The passions. He even talks about defrauding, which is really because when you sin this way, it's not just you. You got someone you're bringing along with you, and that's actually defrauding your brother or your sister. And, and he says you can't live this that way. That's not what God wants us to live. You see, it's interesting. In Acts, the church was called the people of the way before they were called Christians. People of the way. Why? Because they were always on the way. And I think going, moving, that's sanctification. It wasn't just, I did this and now this is who I am. It was, I am becoming this. God is making me into this. But they weren't just people, I think, of the way. They were people in the way. They were against the culture. The culture says that you can live like this. That's okay. That's okay. There's no problem with that. Just do like that. And they say, no, we're not doing that. And I'm sure long before anyone ever thought to call us religious fanatics, that's what they were called. Because they stood up and said, I'm not going to live this way anymore. And then Paul just, just put the little <laughs> period and exclamation on this, says, look, you are not rejecting man's teaching. You are not rejecting church's teaching. If you believe what the world is saying, you're rejecting God himself. Just to make it clear, how do we live? And, and all of this comes from what do you believe? What's the axiom that's driving your life? What is it that you want to do? And just, <laughs> this, is, this is hilarious. Jesus is teaching. And he's really teaching counterculture. That's what Jesus did very often. And Jesus is teaching uh, about divorce. <laughs> oh, now I'm getting, I, I, just bear with me. Love your pastor and move on. He's teaching, a, he's teaching about divorce and says, why do you think Moses made it so easy that a guy can divorce his wife for anything? Boop, boop, boop. You look wrong, divorce. <laughs> why do you think he did that? And, he, and, and they, well, you know, Moses did it, so it must have been right. He said, no, because their hearts were hardened. And it was wrong. I'm telling you that unless for, you know, immorality or whatever, you divorce, that's wrong. Don't do that. Okay? Now, we have that teaching. We, un we understand that. But this is the point I want to make out of all this. Is <laughs> the disciples' response. They're his disciples, the 12. They're looking right at him. And you know what they say? <laughs> Matthew 10, uh, Matthew 19, verse 10. It says, disciples said to him, if that's the situation, it's better not to even get married. <laughs> to Jesus, they say that. Jesus is trying to teach them, trying to do, doing all that. He says, well, then if, if, in other words, they resented the fact, I, I can't divorce my wife any way I want. I, I'm going to have to be accountable for this. I'm going to have to go. I, I, it can't, can't just be at my whim. It can't just be, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to do that. No, no, I'm not going to live that way. <laughs> the disciples, the disciples were faced with that counterculture, and they thought, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that sanctification is a process, and if you're there, God can redeem and encourage and strengthen and forgive, and we keep growing. We don't live under condemnation. 
okay? But we keep growing in God's grace, getting stronger and, strong and stronger, not going against the, the counter, but understanding that we are, <laughs> are going against the counter of, of the, what the world says is right and living the other way. God gives, has given you, every one of you, the grace to do that, the forgiveness to do that, and the power of the Holy Spirit to live that way. No matter where you're at, no matter where you started, <laughs> that's the amazing part. Remember, justified, done, good. You give a heart to Christ. Now let's grow in this. Let's say, okay, I'm going to choose from now on to live this way. I'm going to choose to live against that, that pressure of the world, and I'm going to choose to live for him. Let me give you the second axiom that Paul writes about, that Paul discusses. And how do we please God? It's First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. <laughs> oh, we like this axiom. That's, that's much better. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can love people. I'm, I'm all about, get that. It's not a suggestion. It was a command. You're to love. It, it, it doesn't have a best by date. <laughs> we do that with food, right? We have best by date. Take this best by date. Oh, well, it, ah, that's a little close. It's okay. No, that's not the way it works with love. That's not the way we work love like this. I'm sorry. You're past that expression date. I'm done with you. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. We feel that way sometimes. And then, and then we get into this thing that I, I grew up with. Oh, I, I, I love them, but I don't like them. No, <laughs> that's just backwards. That's just crazy. That's just an excuse. God is teaching us something. God is teaching us something. Let's, let's look at the life axiom from this scripture. I can freely live a life that gives away more than I take. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's what you mean by loving? I actually have to give away more than I ever take? That's love? I thought love was you do for me, I do for you, we're good, we got this little thing going back and forth. No, 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 not, that's, not, that's not God's love. God's love is the cross where he gave it all, where he gave everything. Love is I will give it all away with no promise of everything coming, anything come back. Jesus died on the cross, and there was not a promise as he went to that cross that anyone would ever accept him, that anyone would ever come back. And I'm sure that's what the enemy was whispering in his ear. This is all in vain. This love of yours, it's all pointless. And the enemy whispers the same thing in our ear. Of course, Christ hadn't even, even died before we had the first convert. <laughs> that's the amazing part of what God is doing. I mean, right there on the cross. <laughs> and then everyone else was to come later. I will, I will, the self-axiom. You choose. I will not survive if I don't take in more than I give away. Come on. This is just business. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave that. Don't, don't be touching that. This is just the way it is. I, 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 I have to take care of myself. I have to make sure that I'm good. You know, what, you know what Paul said in this? He says, make sure that you love all God's family. It's so easy to like the ones we like. Because like, like, likes. Like, likes, like. We're around. The people that are like us, the people that are similar to us, those are the ones we have to connect. For the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a real emphasis in churches very much like ours to just get people connected. 
if I can get them connected, if I can get them in a small group, small groups are great. You need to be in a small group. Wednesday night's a small group. Be here. <laughs> See how I got that in there. Anyway, the point is Thursday, Thursday night, Thursday night worship team. That's a small group. <laughs> be here. If you can sing or play. But anyway, <laughs> whatever. The, the point is, point, small groups are great. But there's been this concept that I think is wrong that it, from the largest churches to the smallest. that says if I could just get them connected, they won't leave. So the goal is retention, you see. If I can just get them connected, they won't leave because there will be someone around them, someone to help them. And I think that's true, that it does help. But I think it misses the point. I think it's what Paul said. You know how we have greatest retention? Love everybody. If you're busy loving people that aren't like you, that aren't similar to you, if you love them, they'll stay. And you won't have any time to think about leaving. <laughs> I'm not saying there's not any ever a case for people to leave. Sometimes we'll kick you out. No, this is not true. <laughs> the point is, if we love, somehow I think, okay, let's do small groups. That's great. But somehow we need to teach. We've got to love. Really love. Love in a way that I'm giving away more than I'm taking in. Oh, that's so hard. Because they're so different or they smell different or they whatever. We want to just just say, oh, I love you and move on. Thinking, but I don't like you. And God says, no, no, no. That is a completely different axiom that God says, I will give away. And if you want to please God, if you want to grow, if you want to be stronger, love people, the whole family of God. Even, even, even when they're very different. This last final axiom is very personal to me today. It's about understanding the hope that we have. This past week, my youngest sister's husband passed away feels like suddenly it was really hard and, and I've been grieving we sort of were with them in the very time they got together and they had two beautiful beautiful incredible smart young daughters now he's gone and as I grieved and as I thought I just thought okay God it's not it's not without irony that we're talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the last section because you know what? This last axiom is all about just that, understanding something. It was okay to grieve, but we need to understand what that, this last axiom is. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that, we, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, like the rest of the world grieves, who have no hope. We do grieve. We do. It's lost. I mean, you got to grieve. <laughs> and I've been grieving. But at the same time, grieving because I'm talking to my sister, and who's just a woman of God, and Kevin was just such a, so gentle, such a, a man of God, caring, always reaching out. He had that sex, second axiom, loving people, anybody. That's who Kevin was. And he suffered quite a bit in the last several years. But he is with God now. So I grieve. I grieve with my sister and I grieve with her daughters. But we grieve with the hope. (laughs) 
that one day, one day we'll be together. And I grieve, and I grieve with the hope knowing he's dancing. He's not in that wheelchair anymore. He's moving around. He's not suffering like he suffered before. I'm, in my selfish way, I think, no, just heal him and move on. Come on, keep him another few years. But God knows in his plans, God has it all. See here, listen to this, this life axiom. I can thrive now because I know tomorrow will turn out better. <laughs> I can thrive now. I can thrive in this pain. I can thrive in this grief. I can uh, thrive in this loss. I can thrive in this uncomfortableness. I can, th I can, I can thrive now because I know who has my tomorrow. Right. I know where my hope is. But you see, the selfish axiom says, oh, no, 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 I, I have to live for now because I don't know what tomorrow holds. What axiom do you live by? Because it will determine how you grieve. It will determine how you think. It will determine how you live. Which one are you hanging on to? You see, what was going on here is that because of the persecution, there were actually Christians that were killed. And the church was grieving for these Christians, these brothers, these sisters who had passed away. They were grieving for them because, they, oh, they're going to miss Jesus coming back. They felt bad, and they felt really bad. And Paul's writing, uh, no, I, I, I think you missed it. Look what it says in verse 16 and 17, chapter 4. It says, the dead, those that are in Christ, will rise first. <laughs> they, they are no longer, they, they're not, not going to miss it. They're going to be first. You're going to be watching them. The dead in Christ are, are going to rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together. That's where we get the word rapture. Get back to that. And to meet the Lord in the air. So Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back with his, with the saints. Everyone that's ever uh, passed away. My mom is going to be there. My dad is going to be there. Kevin is going to be there. to come back. And then in the way that is just beyond our even imagination, they will rise again. We'll, they'll rise first. I don't know if it's really quick. I think there's going to be a second like, Whoa, what just happened? And then we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. You know what that's called? Glorification. Why are they coming back? They're already with God. How does that work? Because God has always, always, always wanted to return us to a glorified state as we were in the garden, but better than the garden. In the garden, we were just physical. But now he talks about the first Adam, Jesus Christ in his glorified body, is going to bring us to, uh, uh, or the second Adam, which is Jesus, is going to change our bodies. And so I am going to have a glorified body just like Christ. So will you. And that glorified, because we're going to live in a glorified world. <laughs> so it's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and new earth is going to match our bodies. Whereas before, our bodies matched the earth that was already there. You follow me? I gotta, I'm throwing a lot of stuff in there real quick. But I just want you to get, catch that. And this was all about what? It was all about the hope. It's all about the hope. Come on. We have a greater hope. We have a hope. You see, that word caught up, we, that's where we get the word rapture. Everyone freaks out about it. But do you understand that that was always a word of hope? It was always a Greek word of being caught up in hope. It's going to be good. We had something to look forward to, not something to be afraid, not something to think, what if I don't go? What if it's like that? What if I get left behind? Oh, dear Lord, I grew up in that. That was my... That was my that denomination, they're just so wrong, so messed up. But we don't have time to go into all of that. But what we do know is we live in a hope. <laughs> there is a hope, a hope that's greater, a hope that's better, the hope that's going to turn everything around. In fact, Paul emphasizes this, but he goes on, he talks about, he teases the Romans. 
which would be, was a death knell for him. He teases the Romans because their slogan, slogan was peace and safety. <laughs> peace and safety. That was, that was their slogan as they came in and demolished you and killed you and wiped you out. Then they give you peace and safety. That was the Romans. So Paul's making fun of them and say, hey, somebody, you know, the, they say peace and safety, but then destruction comes on them suddenly. <laughs> because the world offers peace and safety, but they don't offer it with the hope of eternity, the glorification, to understand what God has done. We don't have to fear the judgment. We don't have to fear that end because, it, it, uh, just to throw this out, just, just mess with some of your brains. So Jesus comes back and it says, it's, it's this is, uh, in, in Matthew, it specifically says that he'll come back and then the end will come. That's it. So when he comes back and I am translated and I am moved uh, and, 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 and you are in a new glorified body if we're alive or if we come back and we go, that's it. Then the judgment. That's it. God is good. God is so good. All these things we can talk about later. The hope is... Do you live the axiom of hope? Is that where your hope is? Do your hope, is that your hope? Do you know that hope? Do you know everything that God is trying to do? We live for that. No matter how you see the end times, no how you view all of that, understand this. It's always because we, we focus on the hope that is to come for Christ's redemption in our lives. Let me pray for you. Father, just, I want that hope to be alive in every single person in this room. I want that hope to be alive in every single person that's watching me right now online. Let that hope stir in their hearts. Let that hope bring up, Father, an understanding that it's only in you. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. It's only ever been about Jesus. And God, if there's anyone that hasn't taken that very first step of justification, that very first step of salvation. God, I pray right now, as they listen to this, these words, as they, their hearts are stirred, Father, longing for more of you, God, I pray right now that you would move over them, and God, that they would confess their sin and receive your forgiveness in all that they do. And God, that you, they would even pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, Come into my life. I want you more than anything. Forgive me of all of my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his power and his resurrection in my life. And God, I'm believing for that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.